so good to hear that singing with people in the room. It didn't sound the same when it was just me looking at a camera. Uh, this is so much better, so y'all sound great. Patterns have a way of revealing what is important. Routines have a way of revealing what is important. And kids have a way of ruining the routines that reveal what is important. You see, for years, I loved getting up early. Love getting up early. It's quiet. Getting a cup of coffee. I even do a pour-over. I grind my coffee beans. I'm one of those. I grind my coffee beans, put it a filter in, in my pour-over, and pour that water. I even have a, a kettle that tells me when the water's 200 degrees. Perfect brewing temperature. Make my cup of coffee. I only drink it black. I'm not like weirdos that put cream in it. Just black so I can taste what real coffee tastes like. I've offended half of you, I'm sure. I know I've offended Tess. Um, but drink my coffee black and then I sit down and I get my book and I read. And if I'm lucky, I can read for like an hour, hour and a half, and it's quiet. Well, when kids came along, they ruined all that. Rylan could sleep, would sleep in. Ethan, no. Ethan, he'd get up, get up right about the time I was getting up. He ruined my life for several years. Then Micah, Ava came along. Ava still doesn't sleep. We don't know when. She just doesn't sleep. Ava doesn't sleep. And then Micah came. Micah doesn't like sleeping in either. My life has been ruined for years. But every morning, I'm telling you, every morning, I make the attempt. I make the attempt. This morning, I got a half hour. The previous morning, I got 15 minutes. But I always wake up hoping that my routine will stick and I'll get a good hour, hour and a half. Because that's my routine. That's the habit. That's the pattern. And that tells you what's important. Coffee. Silence and reading. Those are what are important to me. That's what's important. And it often is elusive. But that's my habit. That's the pattern. If you would look in on the start of my day, that's what you would see me making the attempt at every day. So this week, of many, uh, you know, in particular, as Micah has been up even earlier than normal, I've just been thinking about how routines can reveal things, how patterns show us things about ourselves. And so, probably in a surprise, when I came to the study of this morning's passage, I began thinking about patterns, rhythms, habits, things that might repeat themselves. And what I found was in our passage this morning, there was definitely a pattern. Something that was on repeat. And remember, patterns reveal what is important. And often in the Bible, what is important, what is, what is important is repeated. And I found that was the case this week. So that's a bit of an odd journey to step into our sermon this week. All about patterns, all about rhythms, things that repeat themselves, showing us what is important. Now, it's going to have a lot to tell us, have a lot to say to us this morning. So, come with me. Uh, we're, we're sitting in, we're starting the first section of this second sermon that Peter preaches in the temple. If you remember, he's just healed a lame man in the temple. That, that healing of the lame man is a very important piece of the sermon. But as he jumps into the content of his message, we pick up with uh, Acts chapter 3. Verse 12, and when Peter saw this, he said to them, here's what he says, fellow Israelites, 
Why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if it is by our own power or godliness that we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His servant Jesus. You handed Him over to be killed, and you disowned Him before Pilate, though He had decided to let Him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One, and you asked that our murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. That's where we'll stop this morning. But as I thought about my broken patterns this week, I came to this text with the, with the eye to what is repeated. And I see that there's actually a pattern here. So we're going to geek out a little bit. We're going to get nerdy in the next little bit. We're going to get nerdy. We're going to take a look at a pattern I see happening in this sermon that we saw also happen in Acts 2. I thought, well, if... If things repeated are important, I wonder, I wonder if what we see in the front part of Peter's sermon, which seems to match what he said in Acts chapter 2, I wonder if that pattern holds. So I went back into Acts 2 and looked at that whole first sermon that we dug on for eight weeks, and I decided to see if I could find, find the main pieces and see maybe if they were repeated. So here's what I found. I went back to Acts chapter 2, and I found these pieces of the pattern. So in Acts 2, a miracle happens. You remember there were tongues of fire. There was a rushing wind. There was the speaking of foreign languages. So a miracle happens. And then what Peter does is he links that miracle to Old Testament promises. And then immediately after making the link to the Old Testament promises, he gives Jesus the credit. That's what's happening in Acts 2. Then he immediately tells the story of Jesus' death and resurrection. And then the next thing he does in Acts 2, at least, is that he links it to something specific in the Old Testament. He's even quoting the Old Testament. And this is a way of Peter telling us that Jesus fulfills God's promises. And then the whole thing wraps up with a call to respond. So those are the pieces. And I wondered if maybe this was a pattern. And what I found was when you take that and you lay it on top of Acts 3... You sure do have a pattern. You sure do have a repeated process. Some, something that repeats itself. And I thought, ah, oh, that might tell us something. So what I did is I said, ah, oh, but if this, is, if this is what we see, well, then I've got to be able to lay it out. So here we are. We're going to, again, just geek out a little bit. So walk with me. Walk with me through that, those pieces of the pattern. And what I want to do is just chart it out. I just want to put it on a chart. Plot it, plot it out. And I want to watch it happen from Acts 2 and then watch it lay on top of Acts 3. So here it is. This pattern actually repeats itself in the second sermon. So we see in the front part miracles happening. So in Acts 2, we saw tongues of fire speaking in different languages. And in Acts 3, the whole thing launches with the healing of a lame man. Now there's this link into the Old Testament. Now what happens in Acts 2 is Peter actually starts off by saying, this is this. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and then he actually quotes Joel. So this is all the mir- that, that, that miracle happening in front of them. The tongues of fire, the speaking of foreign languages. This is linked to what the prophet Joel had to say. Now that doesn't happen as directly in Acts 3, but what we do know is the way Mark, uh, Luke has put together the story is that 
in Isaiah 33, 35, there's this direct promise that when He comes, when the promised one comes, the lame will leap like a deer. And all of a sudden, what do you find? In the, in the start of Acts 3, you see a lame man leaping like a deer. That's what's happening. So there is a link between Old Testament and a miracle happening before the content of the sermon. Then let's go to the next part. What we find is that Jesus gets the credit. So right after explaining how the Old Testament is the explanation for the miracle, the next thing that Peter says in Acts 2 is, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God. The first thing he does is he points to Jesus. And in Acts 3, the first thing he says after the healing of this lame man, which is directly tied to Old Testament prophets' uh, promises, is the first thing he says is, the God of our fathers has glorified His Son, Jesus. First thing that happens is he gives credit to Jesus. The pattern's holding. Pattern's holding. And then the next thing we see is the story of His death and resurrection. So we know that in Acts 2, which we looked at at length, the next thing He does is He tells them, and, and I've abbreviated, you put Him to death, but God raised Him. That's the next thing that happens in the sermon in Acts 2. Well, in Acts 3, right after He points to Jesus and gives Him the credit for the miracle, the next thing that happens is what we just read in our passage today. You killed the author of life, but God raised Him from the dead. So there it is. The pattern holds. So now... Before we go to the next slide, if the pattern holds, the next thing we're going to see, next thing we're going to see is that there is going to be some link into the Old Testament. Something, there's going to be some link into the Old Testament. We know in Acts 2 it happens. I wonder if it'll happen in Acts 3. So let's go to the next one. Here it is. David spoke about the Messiah's resurrection and exaltation. So he quotes from two different places. Uh, Peter quotes uh, from two Psalms in Acts 2, and he's declaring that Jesus' resurrection and His exaltation, all of it was promised back in the Psalms. And that's exactly what's happening here. He actually quotes from two places out of the Old Testament, and he, but this time he uses the Old Testament to declare God promised to send a person, the offspring of Abraham, like Moses, who would save His people. Both places. So he's quoting about the offspring of Abraham and he quotes about the prophet Moses. But both places he's declaring something out of the Old Testament now applies to our day, saying that Jesus fulfills the promises. And then as you would expect, the last piece of the pattern holds. There's a call to respond in Acts 2. It's repent and be baptized. And Acts 3.19, he actually uh, puts the call to response in two different places. We're going to dig on that in the next two weeks. Repent then and turn to God. So there's the pattern. There's the pattern. And things that are repeated are really important in the Bible. Now the question we need to ask ourselves is, what are the pieces that get repeated the most? So if this is the pattern, every time we come to a, a sermon in the book of Acts, are we going to see a miracle? Will we see the miracle explained by the Old Testament? Will we see Jesus being given credit for a miracle in the middle of a sermon? Will we see the story of, the death, of His death and resurrection repeated every time? And will we see the Old Testament used over and over again? Will they continue to pull the Old Testament promises declaring that Jesus is the fulfillment of those promises? And will there be a call to response every time? Because what I think we need to pay attention to is the things that are repeated the most are the things we need to be paying attention to. The things that happen, well, 
every once in a while, they're important, but they aren't going to be part of the pattern. Not that thing that matters most. And if we are a people that care about the things that are most important, well, those are the things we need to pay attention to. So I'm taking now that pattern, the pieces of the pattern, and I kind of want to lay that on top of the rest of the book of Acts and kind of pay attention to what is the thing that really gets the most frequency. Well, I decided to just lay that out and just rank these things by frequency. If patterns are the thing I'm thinking about all week, well, let's just rank them now. Here it is. This is how we're going to rank them. So sometimes miracles happen. Sometimes there's a miracle happening before a sermon. We've seen it in Acts 2 and 3, so that gets you the sometimes. Sometimes that miracle is going to be linked to Old Testament promises, and sometimes Jesus is going to get the credit. Now listen, Jesus is always going to get credit for miracles. What I'm talking about is in the context of a sermon. Well, often we're going to see a call to respond, but what we will find is not every time is there a direct call to response. Every time people will do something. You can't get hit with the story of Jesus and not do something. That's actually doing something when you don't do anything. But not every time is there a direct call to respond, like repent and be baptized or repent and turn to God. And then regularly we see a link back into the Old Testament that Jesus is fulfilling God's promises. That's a regular thing we see over and over again. But you know the thing we see every time? The thing that is like me making coffee in the morning, it's this one. This is the thing that always happens. We'll go to the next slide. The story of his death and resurrection. That's the thing that gets repeated over and over. It's the thing that you could look in on every sermon and say, that's the thing you can never forget. If you're going to preach about Jesus, that's the thing you can't forget. You may never touch the Old Testament and still be able to preach a good sermon, but you can never forget the story of His death and resurrection. Because what is repeated is important, and that is the most important. And what you find is, over and over again, even outside the sermons, when you have maybe Peter defending himself in front of the Jewish leaders, you know the one thing he's going to make sure to slip in into his message? That Jesus died and rose again. It's the thing that is repeated over and over and over, which tells us it's the thing that we have to always be paying attention to. So, you know how I like to do this. I just want to show you. I want to take you through a tour of some of those passages. I want you to feel the weight of it through the repetition. And what better sermon to repeat this thing than a sermon that started by talking about coffee. You didn't know what I was going to, you thought you knew what I was going to say there, didn't you? It's throwing you off. All right, here it is. Take a look, Acts 4. Here's what, what, here's what we find as Peter defends himself to the Jewish leaders. He says, Now that, know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. There it is. That's the core of, what he, of his defense. Let's go to Acts 5. Here he is talking again to a group of people. Peter says, The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. Let's go to Acts 10 here. He's preaching in front of Cornelius. This is the first sermon to a non-Jew, Jewish audience. He says this, They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. That's not it. We'll go to Acts 17. He's at Thessalonica. This is just a summary. And here, if you're just going to summarize it, here's the summary. Uh, I'm sorry, go Acts 13. This is another summary we'll get to. They asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written about him, 
they took him down from the cross, laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. Again, just put that thing on repeat. Then Acts 17, here it is. Paul reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. Over, over, over. Just put it on repeat. You, if you're going to talk about Jesus, this is the one thing you can't miss. That humans did their worst and killed Him. But God brought Him back to life and He's living right now. That's the thing you can never miss. It's the thing that is central to our faith. You cannot be a Christian and believe Jesus is still in a tomb. That just doesn't work. To be a Christian means you hold on to that He died and was brought back to life and is living today. That is the message. And then when Paul just summarizes all of it, when he tells the Corinthians to take what they have learned and then pass it on, and he's reminding them of the thing that they learned, of all the things he could have told them, of all the things he could have reminded them about as the central piece, it's this one thing. This is what many think is the summation of the gospel that was moving through the early Christian communities. And Paul here summarized it in these few words. For, I, for what I receive, I pass on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried. And that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And there it is. That's the thing that goes on repeat. And that's really the message. That's it. That's it. For Acts 3, verses 13 through 16, that's the core. That you killed Jesus. But God brought him back to life. Yeah, he was the author of life. He was the holy and righteous one. But in all of that, he died. But he came back to life. What that means is that the new creation is broken into our world. That means all of that stuff about a day coming when the lamb lies down with the lion. That day when there is no more death. There is no more sickness. There is no more cancer and heart disease. That day when there are no more broken relationships. That day has already started. The moment Jesus had breath enter His lungs, the moment He gasped for air, His heart started beating is the day the new creation entered our world. And it has been spreading ever since. That's why this is so important. Because it means a new age has dawned. Something new is happening. And one day it will be fulfilled. It has started. He died. And yet God broke it. And now everything is working back in reverse. Life will overtake the world, not death. That's it. That's what's happening in Acts 3, 13 through 16. It's all part of a pattern. And it, this is the piece that gets repeated in the pattern, which means it is the most important. But man, it seems simple, doesn't it? I mean, it's like, it's like the thing you've been hearing for a long time if you're a Christian. Like there's really nothing profound. Maybe we've added a little bit of nerdiness with the chart. We've seen a little bit of a pattern we can lay on top of the sermons in the book of Acts. But beyond that, I really haven't said anything new. You really didn't want me to say anything new on this one. But that's it. He died, he rose. So there needs to be some application. Like, what in the world would that have to do with your life today? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to put on repeat some application we've already done. You may even see this come back again. Why would I do that? Because it's important. That's why I would do it. First point. You've seen it before. First point of application. Something that gets down on the ground where we live 
is that we see ourselves in the story. That's really important. The sin and rebellion in our hearts is the same sin that killed Jesus in AD 33. We're not innocent bystanders. Do you know that thing that happened this morning when Micah got up and I had to go get him and stop reading and I was really frustrated? You know that thing? That thing that's still inside of me? That thing that says I'm the most important person in the world? That's the thing that put Jesus on the cross. The thing, that, the thing inside of me that caused cutting words to flow out of my mouth when frustrated this weekend? You know that thing? That's the thing that put Jesus on the cross. It's the poison, the disease that still has a way of, of emerging in my own heart. That's the thing. That thing in my heart? Well, that's the thing that put Him on the cross. The cross was not random. It was caused by that same thing that gets you frustrated when you don't get your way. That thing. We are not innocent. These are not stories about a bygone age, about people that lived long ago. These are stories about you and me. It is the story about how depraved, how sinful we really could be when left to our own devices. And so we remember that. And never forget that this thing inside of us that will tear us apart if left to ourselves, that thing, that's the thing that killed him and that's the thing God's dealing with. So the first application is to remember we are not bystanders. Alright, so the second one, here it is. We remember that God is in the business of resurrection. So He puts broken things back together. So humans did their worst, but God reversed it and raised His Son from the dead. This is really good news. It's the thing that we really, really pressed on last week. Did you see what happened on Monday this past week? There were some that told me it wouldn't happen. Some said it couldn't happen. Some said, I gave that next step as a joke because we had been living through 40 days of a flood. But you know what happened on Monday? A sunrise. A sunrise, Mark. A sunrise. <laughs> a sunrise. What was so funny is by, by the time I was done posting that to Facebook, it was gone. <laughs> but it came out just so I could post it. A sunrise. All week we've been getting sunrises. You know, we've got a sunrise this morning. You know, all this week we've been remembering the resurrection's coming. The final resurrection's coming. So, just, just because, I just wanted to remember, this is the thing we've been sitting with all week, the sunrise. You know why we remember a sunrise? Because we remember that the day breath came back into the lungs of Jesus, God promised He will not give up on us. A day is coming when all is made new. And it's really important that we keep hold of that story. Because there will be days, there will be days when you are lonely and you're sad and you're frustrated and you're angry and we remember that this is not the end of the story. It is not the end of the story. So we remember that anything broken in you, God can put back together. Isn't that good news? And you know, I, last week I talked about how I regularly think about my own death. I think about getting a diagnosis that will be my, you know, my final years. That maybe one day I'm hit with a diagnosis that says I've got cancer. Maybe I get leukemia. Maybe I have something go wrong with my liver or my pancreas. And I have to deal with that. And I want this greater story in front of me. I am training today while healthy for the day when I am told I don't have long left. And as I walked out last week, I thought, ah, but that's easy. 
Like, that's my life. You know what would be less easy? If someone told me my kid had cancer. I don't know how to deal with that. And so I'm training for that moment maybe one day. Or if I lost tests. Like, well, okay, so it's one thing for me to die. It's another thing to lose someone I love. I need the sunrise in front of me. I need to know that in a hundred years, all will be well, no matter what happens in this life. And so I keep it in front of me. But I understand that these words are really easy for me to say. That's why we need these things to be constant reminders that Jesus is still in the business of resurrection. It's a good application. It's one we need. All right. Third one. This is where I want to land the plane on this one. This is new. Followers of Jesus are still called to tell his story through their words and actions. So if the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus is the most important thing, then it's still the most important thing for you. It's the thing that you need to keep telling people. It's the thing you have to put on repeat. And you do it in your words and your actions. And I'm so glad that we have the rest of the New Testament because this is exactly what Paul tells the Christians in Colossae. Look at what he does in Colossians 3.1. Here's how he starts this part of the letter. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Now you set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You see what he did there? He just connected their story with the story of Jesus. Jesus, now risen and exalted, is now your story, which means you now are risen. Which means when your body gives out, you don't die. You are still with Him. Now, that is very theological. There's a lot there that's abstract. You don't maybe feel like you've been risen with Christ. Maybe when you get out of bed and your back's hurting, doesn't feel like you've been risen with Christ. Feels like you're on the way down, not on the way up. So what is all of this resurrection talk? Well, what Paul's doing here is saying you've been made into something new. Now you go make sure to live that way. You make your heart match who you are. And it gets real practical at, at later in the chapter, here's where I want us to, to land. Colossians 3.12, so in light of all this other stuff he's just said about being risen with Christ, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the most important thing. It's the thing you're supposed to repeat over and over and over again. And one way you repeat that is that you live as a resurrection person. Live as a resurrection person. And what it means to live as a resurrection person is that you look different than other people. It means that you're kind. And you're humble. You're not concerned about comparing yourself with other people. You're concerned about just loving the people that God has given you right in front of you. You're not concerned about getting revenge. You're not concerned about holding on to grudges. You're not concerned about fixing the world. You're concerned about being kind and compassionate, humble and gentle and patient. Ah, that's what it looks like. That's how we keep telling the story. We have been raised with Christ, set our hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So that means you clothe yourself with all these other things. So when you walk around as a humble person, when you walk with a steady pace, full of patience, you are declaring He is risen. You're a resurrected person. Ah, now, that's where it gets on the ground for us. Now, I could go ahead and just go through all the examples on how that, uh, uh, ways, that ways that plays out in ordinary life, but I'm just going to go ahead and assume that you being grown-ups know how that works out in real life, what it looks like to be patient and impatient. 
You know what that looks like. And if you don't, ask someone that you live with or that you're good friends with that will make sure to share with you exactly what it looks like when you are impatient. All right? You see how this works. So here's the next step. I want to take everything we just looked at in Acts 3, that repeated pattern. The thing that is most important, and I want to bring it on the ground with this next step. Do something each day that brings life to those around you. You know what it's like to take life from someone. And I don't mean kill them, although if you have done that, I don't know what to do with that. If you know what it actually looks like to kill someone, I don't know what to do with that. But you know what it's like to to say a cutting word and create division in your home or in a friendship. You know what that's like. What I'm saying is bring life to your relationships. So what that means for me is tomorrow when Micah wakes up at 5.30 in the middle of my most important routine, I go in and I don't put him back to bed and say go to sleep and threaten him, you know, on, you know, threaten his life. I don't want to tell you all the things I say. You wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Let's just leave it there. I go in and I get him up and I bring him in, get his milk and just sit with him. And then we watch this guy named Blippy on YouTube. I don't know if you know who this is. It's pretty intense, guys. It's pretty intense. But what you do is you do something like that. You do something that will bring life to someone. And when you do that, know that you're retelling the story of Jesus. Now, for some of you, you actually need to tell someone that he was buried, died and was buried and rose again. Like, let's not, we never give up on actually using those words and telling the actual story. But often the way we tell that story is through the way we live. It's how we treat our kids and our spouses and our good friends and our enemies. And why not? Why not just bring this one up? And the people that drive really slow in front of you. Happens on 7th Street, y'all. It still happens. The struggle's real. And we give life by not getting on their bumper. And I mean that. That's one way you give life to someone. Don't annoy them. Okay? But that's how we live as resurrected people. That's what I want to do with this, this piece that is most important about the death, burial, and resurrection. Live as resurrected people. And this week, do something each day that gives life. Father, thank you for what you have done as you laid out the story of your son. That though we did our worst, you reversed it. And you brought your son back to life. And now the new creation is spreading first in our heart. Help us be resurrection people. In practical ways, help us to be patient, kind, full of compassion, and humble. Would you help us do that right where we are? Yes.